you would, this morning, if you got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to look at what Isaiah had to say about the Lord's ministry on earth, about His, uh, his death, His burial, His resurrection. Today we celebrate the resurrection. It's Easter. It's a, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? Uh, it's a commemoration of the day that Jesus Christ, uh, often referred to as the Messiah or the Redeemer, all of those terms are identical or they're synonymous, it's a, it's, we're celebrating the day He rose from the dead. It ought to be a day of rejoicing. It ought to be a day of thanksgiving. It ought to be a day of praise and worship for every Christian. Shouldn't it? It should be for the entire world, but certainly for those of us who are Christians. Isaiah had a lot to say about the, the Lord Jesus in His, in his prophecies uh, in back uh, some seven centuries before Jesus was ever born. And when we look at those and we see how accurate they were, it, it's an att- it just attests to the fact that this is God's Word, and that God's Word is settled, and what He says will happen, it will occur. And it also gives us a great faith in all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that have not taken place yet. Because if all the ones that, that we've already seen have taken place with such accuracy, it's all going to take place just like the, the Lord said it would in His Word. So we can take great comfort in that. But Isaiah wrote uh, about the life of Christ. He wrote, he wrote about the ministry of Christ, the the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and then the resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today. So let's read, and if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 53. We'll start there first. Verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, now listen as we read through these next verses, listen to the pronoun he. You could substitute Jesus there. And when he's talking about our, it's each one of us. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did, did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Today on this Resurrection Day, this day we refer to as Easter Sunday, thank you for the knowledge 
that the Lord Jesus Christ came. He lived a, a sinless life for us. He bore our sins on His cross. He was dead. He was buried, but He rose again. And that's what we celebrate today, that, that resurrection of our Lord. Father, as we look into Your Word today, we pray that You might speak to each of our hearts and that, Lord, You might, again, renew within us that, that desire to rejoice and that, rejo- that desire to be uh, so thankful uh, for a risen Savior and what You've done in our lives. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we, we look at here, uh, Isaiah in his ministry, or in his life, he, or in his words, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ's uh, ministry and his life. He says in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? That's a sad question, isn't it, for a prophet of God? He's been prophesying all these years to the nation of Israel, and he says, Who even believes what I'm saying? Who, who's listening? I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of preachers sometimes maybe especially for early morning Sunday services. Is anybody listening? Is anybody awake out there this early morning? But he, he says, who is really, he's, he's thinking, I'm sure, who has really believed that they're sinful, <clears throat> excuse me, that they are sinful in the sight of a holy God? He wrote about that in Isaiah chapter 1. Also in Isaiah chapter 1, he, he wrote about how the people needed cleansing. And he's thinking, who really believes that? Who, who believes that they truly are sinful? He's probably wondering how many people really believe that I saw a vision of God. He wrote about that in, in, in what we call Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the, the Lord high and lifted up. He was sitting on His throne. He saw a vision of that. And he's wondering how many people really believe that. He told the people there's going to come a day when a virgin is going to have a son. We know that actually happened. The Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And he's thinking, who really believes that? He prophesied in Isaiah 11 that the Messiah was coming, the Deliverer was going to come. And he's thinking, who actually believes it? He told them in what we call Isaiah 14 about uh, Lucifer, Satan, and how he fell from, from grace, so to speak. And he's thinking, who really believes it? We, when we look around us today, we, we ask that same question. How many people really believe in our society that Satan is real? He is. He's very real, isn't he? Isaiah wrote in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 that God's Word will always endure. And I'm wondering, Isaiah is thinking here, how many people really believe that? That the Word of God will endure. It will never change. It is established forever. We can, we can hang our hats on that, so to speak. Isaiah taught that idols were worthless imaginations of men. How many people really believed that in his day? And he taught them that God's judgment was coming. And he had to be asking that same question here. Who hath believed our report? How many people really believe that the judgment of God was coming? And the question still rings out there today. Who has believed that report? He said also in verse 1, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? God's arm, that's a term, and it refers to God's authority or God's power to bring His will to pass. And he says, To whom is the arm of the the Lord revealed? Uh, Many people since Isaiah's time have chosen not to believe God's message. People living in Isaiah's day, people who lived in the Old Testament uh, time period after Isaiah's day, even today, there's a lot of people that have chosen not to believe God's message. But I can tell you here on the authority of Scripture, those who do believe His message can become children of God. They can be born again into God's family, can't they? Because unbelief, that's the one thing that inhibits salvation that keeps it from happening. John said this in John 3.18. He said, He that believeth not is condemned already. 
The condemnation doesn't come after death. You're, if, if you do not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. The, old, the, uh, the term they use in, uh, for prisoners on death row, you've heard it. They call them dead men walking. Because their, their fate is sealed. If you're going through this life and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you're a dead man walking, a dead woman walking, aren't you? Until you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Verse 2, Isaiah described how normal Messiah's earthly life would be. Think about these, these things. He said that, that he would enter the world as a child, tender just like any other child. Helpless, essentially, just like any other child. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. His, his uh, mother and Joseph had to take care of him when he was growing up. So he was, he was entered life just like anyone else, and he learned as he grew, right? There wasn't any wealth. There wasn't any power in Joseph and Mary's family. They weren't influential people. He was just pretty, pretty much normal. And Isaiah said there wasn't anything specific. There were no specific traits that set him apart. He refers to it as... Uh, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. That's not saying he was a hideously ugly person. What it's saying is there wasn't anything about just the, 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 the visible appearance of Christ that attracted people to him. Remember when, uh, when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane? There wasn't anything particular that Judas could say, when you go in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to be there and he's going to look like this. You'll notice him. He'll be the first one you notice. He didn't say that. He said, I'll, I'll go kiss him, and that's how you'll know which one. So there, there was just there was nothing about his personality or his, 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 just, his personal appearance, so to speak, that drew people to him. What was it then that drew people to Christ? What was it? It was his message, wasn't it? The words that he had to say, it was his compassion. He loved people. He cared about people regardless of what station of life they came from, regardless of what they had done in the past. He loved them. And then his authority drew people to him because it was said of him that he spoke as one who had authority. Not like the scribes, not like someone else. I can stand up here and I can, I can teach you or talk to you about the Word of God, but I'm sharing God's Word with you. Jesus spoke with authority with his own words, and that's what drew people to him. Verse 3, Isaiah, it's, it's kind of a dark prophecy of, of how Christ would be received. Though he was good in every way, he had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong. He would never hurt anyone. He would still want to be rejected. Even though He came in peace, He came uh, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to help people, to heal people. He even raised people from the dead on occasion. And yet He was still rejected. The religious leaders should have recognized their Messiah. There was enough in the Old Testament Scriptures that they should have recognized Him, shouldn't they? Even they rejected it. They plotted to kill Him and find people to, who would say things about him that weren't true. They incited people against him. And they, they orchestrated his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, even though they should have recognized him. The ultimate result of that was that many of the lost people that Christ came to save, to seek and to save, chose intentionally to reject him. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? And it has very sad consequences. People today still do that. They choose of their own volition to reject it. So he, Isaiah told us something about his early life, something about his ministry. And then in verses 4 through 8, he starts talking about his death. Oh, there's something that we need to understand. We're, we're here to, today to recognize the resurrection of Jesus. He was resurrected from what? From being dead. Jesus... 
death on the cross, though, we've got to recognize this. It was not an accident. You, you Think about that. It was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. He didn't just coincidentally get with the wrong people and find himself in a wrong place, was it? Jesus' death was not collateral damage in God's warfare against sin either, was it? What it was, was a divine appointment that He willingly accepted. God said, sinless blood has to be shed to pay the price of sin. And Jesus said, I will go. And I will do that. I will take a human form. He died to pay our sin debt. A debt that we could never pay. Robert and I were talking about it this morning. We, we saw a, some strange sign on a saying on a church sign. And we got to thinking about it. And I'm and starting to think about strange things I've heard. And I've heard a lot of people say in the time, Jesus took my cross. I'm here to tell you something. I could have died on a cross and I would have still gone into a Christless eternity if I wasn't saved. Dying on a cross would not, not have helped me at all. But when Jesus did it, when His holy, sinless blood was shed, that could pay the price for my sin. So a debt that I couldn't ever pay. John 10.18 says that no one could take Jesus' life from Him, that He was laying it down. He had the authority to lay it down and He had the authority to take it back Himself. And that's exactly what He did. You see, every person that was ever been born from a human father, we inherited a sin nature from our earthly fathers. Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He didn't inherit that sin nature, did He? Sin and death entered the world by one man. We've heard this before. Adam, when he sinned in the garden, he plunged the human race into sin. And everyone since Adam that was born with a human father has inherited that sin nature. Verse 6 of Isaiah here, 53, says, We all go astray. What does that mean? It means we choose our way instead of God's way. Given a choice before we are saved, that's exactly what we're going to do every time. Unfortunately, even after we're saved, sometimes we choose the wrong way, don't we? I'm thankful though that the Word of God says if we sin, if we confess that sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us that sin and to cleanse us from what? you remember? All unrighteousness. Isn't that glorious news? But just like sin entered the world by one man, so did forgiveness. And so did eternal life. It came by one man. That man was Jesus. He was totally sinless. He was entirely innocent. He had never done anything wrong. And because of that, He could take our punishment. He took it quietly, Isaiah tells us. He took it willingly. He took it without any resistance at all. When He was on trial, He, 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 he astonished Pontius Pilate because He was asking Him questions. They were, they were quizzing Him. And he didn't say a word. And Pontius Pilate said, Don't, Do you not understand I have the power to crucify you? I have the power to have you executed and you're not saying anything? He just took it willingly for us. Because that's what it would take to bear our sins. He was cut off out of the land of the living, verse 8 says. That's a clear prophecy of His death, isn't it? Why did He do that? Luke 19.10 says, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the way to save those who were lost, was to come and shed His innocent blood for us. So Isaiah talked about his life and his ministry, talked about his death. He also referred to his burial. In verse 9 he said he made his grave with the wicked and the rich. It's a further prophecy of his death. You know, many people rejected Jesus as Messiah because... Uh, 
they thought that the Messiah, when he came, was going to be some kind of a military leader, and he was going to he was going to lead a revolt against the Roman government. If we'd been living in that time, we would have wanted the same thing, wouldn't we? It was a very oppressive government, and so they were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and, and reestablish the kingdom of David. And and on Palm Sunday, so as we refer to it, when he when he entered Jerusalem, they were throwing palm branches in front of him. They were taking their, their coats off and throwing it on the ground so he could walk. And they were, they were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. They, they thought, seriously thought he was about to come to Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government and reestablish David's kingdom. And so they rejected him when they found out that uh, that's not what he was there for. He wasn't there to, to, to create an earthly kingdom at that time. His death never entered into their plans into their thought of what a Messiah was or would be. And so they rejected him. But God's plan called for a blood offering from a sinless sacrifice. Now for centuries the, the Jewish people have been offering animal sacrifices. Those were just pointing the way. They were just pointing to the fact there would be a Redeemer one day who would come and offer the, the, the ultimate sacrifice. And so that's what God's plan required. He required that Jesus the innocent would die on a cross hanging there between two criminals for us, bearing our, our sin debt. He was buried temporarily, thankfully, in a borrowed tomb. It was a rich man's tomb. So when Isaiah said he made his grave with the wicked and the rich, the wicked in that he was crucified between two criminals, two people who desperately deserved execution. And he was buried with a rich man in a borrowed tomb. Isaiah's prophecy was intended to prepare the, uh, the Jewish people for when the Messiah would come. He's giving them all this information so that when you see this happening, you will know that he is the Messiah. And somehow they, they missed it. Instead, many of the people rejected both the message of Isaiah and the Messiah when he got there. Many of them. Many of the people who had been uh, crying Hosanna to the son of David a week earlier were now rejecting him. And they were, no doubt, many of them were in that crowd that were crying out to Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. They'd been worked up into a lather by the scribes, the, the uh, Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious rulers. And so they turned on him. And that's what Isaiah, he's prophesying that here. The New Testament scripture adds a little bit of clarity to all of this. Isaiah is, it doesn't give a name, but clearly he's referring to the Messiah when he would come. The New Testament clarifies a little for us. It says Jesus Christ died for our sins. There, there are theories out there that he didn't really die. He just swooned, he passed out, and they put him in a, in a tomb, and the, the air was damp in the, in the tomb, and then he woke up a little bit later. There's so many holes in that theory that... Uh, uh, that there, there's much that could be said. One is, the New Testament is very clear that the Lord Jesus was nearly beaten to a pulp. He was beaten to the point where people didn't recognize Him. Where some said He didn't, almost didn't look like a man anymore. I don't think someone like who's been beaten to that extent and sustained those kinds of injuries, who's been nailed to a cross and taken back and put in a tomb, He's not going to wake up in a few hours and, and walk away from it. No, this was miraculous. He died on the cross for us. That was attested to, by, by the way, by the Roman soldiers. If there was one thing the Roman army knew, it was knew, they knew how to inflict death, 
And they knew very well how to recognize it when they saw it. Jesus Christ was dead when he was buried in that tomb. His dead body was buried. The Roman soldiers were assigned to guard the tomb. They were given, I guess you could say, two very very simple instructions. You guard that tomb, you put a seal on it. Nobody goes into that tomb. And nobody comes out of it. Maybe they were thinking, it occurs to me, maybe they were thinking, well, what if he's not really dead? Maybe he wakes up. Well, if he does, he's not coming out of that tomb because those soldiers are not going to let him out. He'll die in that tomb if he didn't die on that cross. But he was dead. And they put him in there and the Roman soldiers were supposed to guard him. Their goal, again, don't let anybody come and take that body. Because the chief priests were afraid. They knew that he had prophesied, when I, I, will, be, I will be crucified. I will die, and on the third day I'll rise again. And the chief priests were desperately afraid, even though they didn't seem to believe that, they were desperately afraid that someone was going to come and steal his body and then go run around claiming that he had risen from the dead. And so they said, we can't have that happen. So they've, they've put his body in the tomb. They put a guard on it. Everyone knows he's dead. So when he shows up later alive and is seen by over 500 people, what's the only conclusion that's left? He rose from the dead. That's the only explanation possible, isn't it? He had risen again just like the Scripture said He would. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-8, read like this. Talking about Jesus after He rose again. He was seen of Cephas, that is Peter, then of the twelve, the apostles. After that, He was seen of above 500 brethren at once. And Paul says, of whom the greater part remain into this present, but some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me, that is, Paul also. Over 500 people saw him when he, when he was, after he was risen from the dead. It's a strong argument, isn't it? How many people would it take in a court case to, to attest that someone's alive? How many of us would it take if someone walked in that door back there for us to say, yep, they're alive? Over 500 people said he was, so that they couldn't, they couldn't deny it any further. I think one of the most concise portrayals of the Gospel and Scripture, again, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. According to the prophecies in the Old Testament that had been, um, that had been shared. He died, He was buried, and He rose again. He died victorious. He rose victorious. So then Isaiah has a little bit to say about his resurrection in verses 11 and 12 of Isaiah 53. Verse 11, Isaiah prophesied that God would see the sacrifice of Messiah and be satisfied. Aren't you glad God was satisfied with that sacrifice? He didn't say, nope, that won't, that's not good enough. People are still going to stay lost. It's not good enough. That's not what he said. He said he was fully satisfied. Man's sin was against an infinitely holy God. That's what, by the way, makes our sin so bad. When we sin against an infinite God, we are guilty of of such an offense that we deserve infinite, eternal punishment for that. It's It's not the size of the sin. Stealing a paper clip or telling a little fib That's still a lie, isn't it? When we do that, 
we have sinned against an infinite God. That is what brings the the penalty of, of eternal damnation on us. That sin demanded a perfect, sinless sacrifice to be put to death and, and innocent bloodshed. And we're told Jesus' sacrifice fully satisfied the wrath of God. And fully satisfied that requirement. In verse 11, Isaiah saw that the Messiah would justify many for He would bear their iniquities. He bore our sin for us because we couldn't do it. Verse 12, Isaiah prophesied the results of God the Father's acceptance. He says He would divide Christ a portion with the great. And then He says and Christ would divide the spoil with the strong. That's just poetic words telling us that Jesus Christ would be exalted because of His sacrifice, because of that obedience to go to the cross. And He has been exalted. He's now seated at the right hand of God. New Testament fills in a few more details. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand, the majesty on high. He's seated on a throne beside God the Father. Philippians 2 verse 9 says this, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a time when every tongue, every knee will bow to Him. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Those who are saved, we certainly should say that every day. We're willing to bow our knees to Him, aren't we? But those who are condemned, those who leave this life having never trusted Jesus, there will come a day when they will recognize that He is Lord. They will pass into eternal damnation, eternal punishment, but they will recognize that Jesus is Lord and they will know for sure that He has risen from the dead. He did rise from the dead. He, did, he, he rose victorious over sin and death. He rose exalted as God's Son. We know that. And He rose able to save anyone who comes to Him by in saving faith. Simple faith. Just trusting Him. Believing what He's done for us. Hebrews 7.25 says He's able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. He's our mediator. He's the one that we go to in order to gain God's favor. So this is what we commemorate today. Some very simple facts. Fact, Jesus Christ is alive. That's what That put a smile on your face, wouldn't it? On a day. If, if Easter Sunday had been like yesterday or Friday and gloomy and rainy, that knowledge enough is enough to put a smile on our face, isn't it? There's a simple, another fact. He still seeks and saves that which is lost. And He saves all who will come to Him in faith. Regardless of what your history has been, regardless of what you think, how bad you may think you are, Jesus will still save you. Another fact. He keeps all who come to Him. There are people that um, they have no, faith, no, uh, no confidence that they've been saved. If you ask someone, yeah, I got saved. But I, or, so you'll be in heaven. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm good enough. There, there are actually churches have, that have taught that kind of heresy that you can never really know if you're if you're saved or not. I, I can remember Robin and I have talked about this several times. My grandmother was that way. She, I would talk to her about the Lord, and she would say, "You know, I'm just not sure I'm good enough." And I'd say, "Grandmother, you, all you need to do it's not it's not you. Certainly, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough either. But Jesus was good enough." And she never could have that, that confidence because the church that she was a part of 
taught that uh, only if you're good enough when you die, that's the only way. If you're good outweighs the bad, then, then maybe you'll get to heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. Our good will never outweigh our bad, no matter how good we think we are. But Jesus' sacrifice will outweigh all the bad, and He will save us, and He keeps us. And there's one other thing that we commemorate today. It's not so much a uh, fact, it's more of a promise. He will return one of these days to take us to be with Him. And when He does that, we'll never be separated from Him again. We'll spend all eternity as Christians, as believers, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, something's wrong, isn't it? Isn't it? I'm here to say this morning, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have much to be thankful for. But on the other hand, if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior this morning, um, there couldn't be a better day than today to do that on, on Resurrection Day. The one who died to pay your sin debt will welcome you into God's family. He always will. He said He would. We just trust in His payment. You yield yourself to Him as Lord and the Word of God says you will be saved. You'll be born into God's family. And you'll have that security of being a child of God and no one can ever take that away from you. Because I'm going to tell you what, the person who died to save you is far more powerful than any force that would try to take you out of His family. And He's made those promises to us. Let's, let's pray again. Father, thank You again for the, the, the words that we've read here in Isaiah's prophecy. Thank You, Lord, for the the New Testament uh, verses that add clarity to these verses, they, they tell us very clearly Jesus Christ was the, the Holy Son of God. He did not have a sin nature. He had no sin in Him. He was holy. He was without blemish. He was the perfect Lamb of God that could be given as a sacrifice for us. Your Word is very clear. He gave His life willingly because He loved us that much. He died on the cross for us. He shed His blood for us. He paid the price of our sin debt. You were fully satisfied, Father, with that sacrifice. That's what Scripture teaches us. And Jesus rose again on the third day just as He said He would. He had the power to lay down His life. He had the power to take it again. And we thank You so much for that knowledge. We thank You so much that when the angel rolled away the stone from the opening of the tomb that day, it revealed that tomb was empty because Jesus had risen. He was no longer among the dead. He was among the living. And He is victorious. And Lord, we thank You for the the Word of God that tells us that He is now seated by Your right hand. It also tells us that He ever lives to make intercession for us. And it tells us that any here today who have never trusted Him as Savior can do so today. They can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They can trust Him for their salvation. And we pray that might be the case. If there's, I don't know anyone's spiritual condition here, Lord, but You do. If there's anyone here who's never trusted Christ, let, please let them do that today, Father. Prick their hearts. Those of us who have named to the name of Christ as our Savior, Lord, would You let this truly be a day of rejoicing. A day when we can, we can glory in the, the triumph of Lord Jesus Christ over death and over sin for us. Bless the remainder of this time, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.